You're listening to the Impact Theory Podcast, your source of empowering ideas and actionable techniques from the world's highest achievers. Join host Tom Bilyeu, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition, on a journey to unlock your potential and realize your vision of success. Welcome to Impact Theory. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of After Impact. Today, we're going deep on Sean White. We're going to be going in behind the scenes, getting to uh, really flesh out some of the ideas that he brought up, and he brought up a lot of them. Uh, I love that the theme of the episode was um, you're either going to win or learn, and I thought that was really, really smart, and he's got a very powerful outlook on life, um, which I, I just, oh, man, I think everybody needs to embrace and be thinking about that I don't think anybody's ever going to bat a thousand. I don't think anybody's ever going to have truly an undefeated record. That's just not really realistic. But the people that end up doing something great, people that end up doing something that's unparalleled, those are the people that learn from the times that they both win and lose. And quite frankly, that was one of the things I found so interesting about Sean. He doesn't just learn when he loses. He learns when he wins and puts himself in context um, so everything he's really looking at as a learning opportunity, very powerful. Yeah, definitely. Let's start with one of those wins. So in the episode, he talks about um, a, a particular competition when he won a, a car and a guitar. Yeah. And this is one of my favorite stories. Um, so he wins the guitar, and most people would probably take that guitar, hang it on the wall, put it in a closet, not do anything, not even think about it again. Mm. Um, he starts playing the guitar. So I want to get your thoughts on that. Uh, he jumped into it and just thought, I can get good at this through practice. What, what kind of mindset is that? Like, wh- what were your responses to that? Yeah, uh, so he actually talked about it when I asked him about competition to define, like, what does competition mean to you? And he was saying there's something that he taps into when he feels that competitive spark. And he said he won this guitar. His brother um, was picking up guitar at the That's same right. time. Another couple of kids in the neighborhood were picking it up. And he thought, okay, like I'm actually going to get good at this. I'm going to treat this like I would snowboarding and I'm really going to practice. And, and he had this long-term vision of one day I'm going to be in a band, I'm going to be on stage and I'm going to you know, really be in a rock band. But he understood that you've got to put in the time. He, he really understood something that I didn't understand at his age as a kid, I should say, when he first started picking up the guitar, which is that you can get good at something through discipline practice. And that's one of those things that Oh man, I just don't know how people like come across that when they're young. But for him, he so wanted to beat his brother that, and and that certainly led to um, him becoming truly great in snowboarding. And then that same drive to really, really get good and to beat his friends, to beat his brother, to beat his friends, to be the best guitar player in the neighborhood. um, That pushed him to really get good at guitar. And I just thought that was so cool and really inspiring. Really inspiring. And that brings up a quote he said, Uh, from the episode, you just do what's hard until it's not hard anymore, which sounds really simple, but why is that hard to follow? Well, it's hard to follow because it's, it is, the things are hard because they're demoralizing. And when you think about learning a new skill, you're intentionally putting yourself in a position where you're awkward, you feel uncomfortable, you look bad, it's embarrassing. There's nothing in the process that reinforces positive self-image. There's nothing. 
unless you can think about like, I'm the type of person that pushes through this, that even though there is nothing positively reinforcing about this, there's nothing intrinsically that's making me feel good about it. I'm the type of person that perseveres through that and can have a long-term vision. Then suffering through the awkwardness can really build your self-esteem. But I mean, for the most part, like there's nothing intrinsically enjoyable about that phase where you're really bad and there's nothing immediately applicable. Um, I actually took guitar lessons in college and I, I went to the teacher and I was like, dude, look, my, my hand just is not like I have small fingers, I guess, because I can't reach some of the positions. And he said, dude, I promise you by the end of this course, you'll be able to. And when I first started trying to play bar chords, mm-hmm. I was like, it's not possible. Yeah. It's not. And I had totally a fixed mindset at the time. So I was like, it isn't physically possible. There's something about the way that my <laughs> hands are designed. And it never occurred to me like, dude, stop crying about it keep practicing on the other side of this you're you'll be able to figure it out and um, luckily I had to because I was in the class like there was just no turning back so and I was so freaky about getting getting good grades that um, I just kept practicing 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 out of fear and desperation and just being determined and finding new ways to practice I love how uh, Sean says that he would be on air, airplane he'd be on flights and he'd yeah. be doing he'd be picking on his jeans with a guitar pick to learn how to up pick cuz yeah. he didn't know how which is just so cool right yeah man I, I and again i don't like now i get it because i've read so many things that make that part of my identity to find those hard things to practice them how did he get to that at such a young age i don't know yeah. and i asked him that question and he um i think that was when he said i don't know you just do the hard thing until it's not hard anymore yeah but um that was very unsatisfying. <laughs> so he's he's talented uh, in many different areas of his life. Uh, he's definitely worked at it. Um, I was reminded of the Tim Ferriss episode when he came on and talked about the the donkey uh, parable. Yeah. Right? Um, it can't. Uh, it's hungry. It's thirsty. It doesn't know what to do first. Either go toward the hay or go toward the water. Ends up dying. Doesn't know that you can do things in a sequence. So I was reminded of, of that story because it feels like Sean has kind of done that himself, right? Mm-hmm. He's gotten good at something. He's learned a new skill. He's worked at that really hard. He's gotten good at that. What do you think about like that's this kind of sequential specialization? Well, one, I just, I have to acknowledge like, is everybody else watching this man get really good at this in real time? Like this is, <laughs> this is fun for me. Um, so for you to put those two together, to tie it together, the guests, um, I think is really incredible. So the notion of sequential learning or sequential experiences is, uh, is just critical, man. And to see people paralyzed because there's, you know, multiple things that they want to do or to figure anything out, it just seems like too long and impossible. Um, that makes me sad because they're defeating themselves before they even get started. So, you know, everything in life, it, it stacks on itself. And so, um, making sure that you know what you want, that you have clear goals, that you're able to use your emotion, um, intuition, gut feel to know what sequence to put them in, Mm. because that'll be the next problem, right? Okay, I get it. I buy into sequential learning. I'm totally on that. But which one do I do first, right? And I get comments like that. People write that in and ask like, hey, there are these things that I want to do. Like, how do I know what the order is? And to me, like you guys know, everything comes back to the brain. There's a rare brain disorder where people will get injured and they lose the ability um, to experience emotions. And the one thing that results out of that is people can no longer make decisions, not about anything big, not about anything small. So you could literally ask them, do you want steak or fish? And they can rattle off like they sound very um, coherent 
they'll explain why they might want to do fish because it's lower in calorie. And, you know, they told their doctor that they were going to eat less fat, which is a mistake, by the way. But nonetheless, like they could like break that down and they could explain. And let's say it happened to me. I would actually be able to tell you that fat is a good thing. You should have fat in your diet. But that, hey, it's, at the same time, sometimes your focus is going to be lean protein. And I would not be able to make a decision. Like I would be able to explain the logic of either choice perfectly well. But I wouldn't be able to actually decide because I don't have any emotion. So people have to be able to tap into that. Like you've got to know like what it is that you want, what you're aiming at, and then rely on your actual gut feeling to tell you like which one of these do I want more and then put them in order. And then if you can't decide, fucking pick one, literally flip a coin and pick one because it is better to do like the wrong thing at a thousand miles an hour than to be paralyzed by indecision. Just get started. Just get started. I love it. Um, there's another part of the episode where I was really impacted by Sean talks about how um, the competition sort of drives him to a heightened state of performance mm-hmm. and he needs that competition to bring that out of him. So how, how important do you think it is for people to put themselves in situations where they are being tested, where they need to perform at a certain level? You know, it's interesting. I think Sean reacts differently to competition than I do. Um, I, I, so his whole thing is he actually does worse when he's not competing than when he is competing. Right. And that to me is, is very interesting. And I certainly know that aspect of it. Like there are certain times where if I'm utterly confident in my abilities, then I'll, I'll do better in, um, the performance than I will in practice for sure. Mm. But if I have unease, if I'm not as confident in my abilities, then I'll probably do better in practice because there's less, um, stress, there's less anxiety management. So is that just because you're not, you haven't put in enough practice yet to feel confident? Let's, that's certainly one of the most, um, typical reasons that I would find myself in that position. But, you know, if I'm battling the internal critic and the internal critic is telling me that you can't do this, that you're not ready for this, whatever, you're just putting so much energy into breathing right, visualizing all the things to try to calm your mind just to get back to a baseline state that I think it's harder to enter into flow. Um, But one of the flow triggers that they talk about in the Flow Genome Project, Stephen Kotler, Jamie Wheel, um, is that when there are stakes, when there are high consequence to your actions, that that can actually help push you into flow, which is, I think, exactly what Sean is talking about. Like that part of his mind just has a a natural shutoff point when there's high stakes. Um, I just don't know that I have as... Uh, ready access to flow based on that as yeah. as maybe he does. So it's not for everyone. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, I want to check in with our Facebook Live audience. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Uh, you can share this live feed and be entered to win a book from Tom's reading list of your choosing. So please help us grow the community and share, and uh, hopefully you'll win that book. Um, I also want to see if we have any questions from anyone about the episode. No questions right. yet. Right. We'll just keep rolling. We'll keep going. Great. Um, all right. So you mentioned this already, but uh, uh, Sean has an older sibling who's, uh, I think, seven years older, older yeah. brother, who he was always trying to keep up with. I can identify with that. Having an older <laughs> brother, you had an older sister, can yeah. also identify with that. Um, what do you think is, is, is this sibling effect, right, this older sibling mm-hmm. effect? Is it real, A? And if so, 
how can other people apply it? I mean, not everyone's going to have an older sibling, but how can they put themselves in those types of situations? Yeah, I think it is real. And I think that what ends up happening is most people are probably broken by that. And most people mm. are diminished. They become less. So um, certainly for me in sports, I saw my sister be so good. I didn't, I, I had a fixed mindset. So it wasn't like I looked at her and thought, okay, I could practice and become as good as her. Um, I saw what looked like from the outside, the effortlessness of her performance and was just sort of doubly frustrated that, that I was comparing myself to somebody so readily available to me who was so much farther ahead than me. And so it really, um, in a lot of ways, diminished my ability to um, enjoy the sport. But if you have a growth mindset, then I think it becomes powerful. Then you're looking at your brother and thinking, if I outwork him, I can become as good as him. Right. And you know, for people that like Sean, who naturally happen upon that, or somebody trains it into him, or he just figures it out to the school of hard knocks, or maybe he's that angry, like, and that was part of it. I didn't get that angry about the fact that my sister was better than me. And I think I wish I had in some ways, because if I had been angry enough that somebody had more skills than me, it might've pushed me through, like, I think that anger a lot of times pushes people through naysayers, peer pressure, everything, because they're just, now they're so hell bent to prove people wrong that they're gonna put in the work, they're gonna do anything that gets them the result, they're gonna be constantly analyzing their behavior, the results, and they're just gonna improve, improve, improve. Sure. Um, because I didn't have that, because I wasn't angry about it, ah, like whatever, I suck, right. and this doesn't feel good to suck at it, so I'm just gonna do something else, which was my response. Do you use it now though? Um, oh yeah, 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 for sure. hundred percent. I love watching people that are better than me and it really does ignite that like motherfucker. Yeah. Like it doesn't, it's not, I've, I've witnessed this yeah. firsthand. It's, it's no longer benign. Right. So, and I love that. Yeah. I cultivate that. I want that. And it's, that's something that I really have had to cultivate because I love seeing other people win. Like I get emotionally rewarded for that. And at some point I had to learn to balance like, oh, I'm super stoked. Like, oh my God, he's so amazing. And then like really go, okay, wait, no, it's not okay to um, be impressed by the invincible winner. Like you've got to want to be the invincible winner. You've got to decide these are the things that I'm going to get great at, that you're going to focus on the people who are better than you and just chip away at their advantage through unrelenting hard work until you get there. And because I'm, I'm holding competing ideas in my head, it's actually quite fun because I know when to look at, okay, this person's better than me and that's not okay. Mm -hmm. And I know when to look at like, this is all a fun game. And as long as I stay aware of the fact that this is a game and this is sort of man-made fr frustration in you know this example, um, that it, it's a good give and take. So if people are ready for that, where should they look for those older siblings, let's call them, that they can be trying to overtake? Yeah, I mean, you, you guys are living in the, the greatest um, period in history for something like that. You can go online and see people that are just absolutely incredible. And the fun for me is when I find somebody that other people haven't discovered yet, but they're better than the person who has been discovered so that you can actually, instead of chasing the sort of famous example, you're chasing somebody that's, you know, one or two times or two levels above the person that everyone else is chasing. Mm. And that's exactly what happened to Sean, right? So his brother wasn't a 14-year-old. His brother was, you know, he's 13. His brother was 20. Yeah. So he was chasing a 20-year-old, learning the tricks that the 20-year-old was learning, which is how he was able to um, go pro at 13. So, you know, do your due diligence. Don't try to um, win a Pyrrhic victory where it's like, okay, you're better than the most famous person, but you know that there's somebody better. Like when you ask, uh, use an example from hip hop, you ask rappers to name their favorite rappers. It's usually people you've never heard of, right? Unless yeah. you're really in on the scene. 
because they're going after the greatest lyricist, regardless of whether or not that person is popular. And so when you start chasing somebody that's at that level and you can marry that true, just raw skill to something that can also propel you into being popular, I think that's when things get really interesting. So try to scare yourself, try to pick people that just seem unbelievably far ahead of you because your failure to be better than them will probably still blow away the competition. So Ryan from Facebook wants to know who has been that person for you or group or business, right? Yeah. So, um, right now, Disney, like I'm looking at Disney and I know people think that I'm out of my fucking mind and I love that. I love that people, they totally dismiss what I'm saying because I say that on, on a similar timeline that will be bigger than Disney. Um, because they don't allow themselves to think like that. And, but that forces me to like, so, because we're never going to get bigger than Disney doing this show. Right. So once you know that that's just true, like you've got to fucking force yourself to think big, like, okay, how fucking big and crazy do I have to think to like be on that scale? Right. And so it forces you into a, a totally new paradigm. And so, and I'm flashing back to like Walt Disney and I'm thinking about him and not just sort of the end state, which is definitely what we're holding ourselves to, but looking at like where he started. So on a content scale, because obviously we always have to separate things for the audience to understand, even though in my mind, they're basically one and the same, but the content and then the companies, you know, and, and just looking at like when we were at Quest saying, we're going to be the biggest food company in the world. And that that's a necessary outcropping of our mission that if we're going to end metabolic disease, that we actually have to do that. Like that's a necessary step in getting there. And so looking at a craft, you know, and saying, okay, we're going to be bigger than craft. Like you just, you have to look at that stuff. Nice. All right. Checking in with our Facebook live audience. Want to remind everyone what we're here doing. We are on after impact reviewing, going deeper into the episode with Sean white that launched yesterday on Tuesday. So ask your questions. If you've seen the episode, if not, you feel free to go and check it out on YouTube or our podcast. So do we have questions from the community? All right. So this one comes from Brian Kim. Um, I liked how Sean said he would visualize himself winning the prize slash trophy before he even goes into the game. That's some insane amount of positivity and determination. How do you remove negativity and self-doubt? I feel that I'm quite a positive person, but when it comes to taking action, it's hard being consistent. How can we stay more consistent with our actions towards our goals, daily mindset? All right, so I'll repeat the question from Brian Kim on Facebook. Great one. He brought up in the episode how Sean um, talks about visualization. Mm-hmm. Uh, before he's in a competition, he visualizes every little detail, the run he's going to do. He even visualizes his victory and what it's going to feel like and mm-hmm. be like afterwards. Um, and he says that uh, this sounds like a great way to sort of build confidence, but how do you actually... He, he, he can't get to that place because he has too much negativity and self-doubt. So how does he remove that self-doubt and have consistency, uh, consistency and optimism and growth uh, in his daily life. Yeah, one, I think it's really important for people to understand your goal is not to get rid of the negative voice. Okay. okay? Goal is not to get rid of the negative voice. The negative voice is what's going to kick you in the ass and get you going. If all you thought about all the time was positivity, how well you're doing, all that, that there's not going to be enough impetus to get out and keep going. Um, and Sean addressed that. He said, I lost in Sochi. And because of that, I have this renewed... 
um, enthusiasm to go and get it. And this is why incumbent businesses always lose to the young upstart. Mm -hmm. Like, like how many cycles do we have to see where that happens, where the incumbent company, it gets big and then it gets its ass handed to it by some young innovator who's hungrier, who's more determined, who's got something to prove. They've got that chip on their shoulder. Like, before we realize, ah, maybe the negative voice that's telling me I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, I need to push harder, maybe that's actually useful. Now, it's only useful to a point. And as he's pointing out in his question, there comes a point where that's corrosive. And I think Dr. Daniel Amen in his book, Making a Good Brain Great, really nails the solution. And what he says is, Everyone has ants in their mind, automatic negative thoughts. And it's your job to, when those automatic negative thoughts come in, to use them as a trigger to reframe it into something positive. Because if I, let's say, um, I'm not trying to silence the negative voice. In fact, the fact, like, like today, I was telling people another idea that I had, another um, entity that we should be going after, getting the rights to, which I'm very excited about, came from me just being really disappointed in myself and not feeling like we're pushing hard enough, not feeling like we're going far enough, but because I had that gnawing feeling in my gut that we needed to do more, then I spend maybe 10% of my time there. Then the other 90% is about how fucking badass it's gonna be when we get it, what we're gonna do, the victory lap, what I'm gonna wear, like where we're gonna go with this, like how impressed people are gonna be that we pulled this off, right? That I'm visualizing that. Now I'm gonna spend 90% of my time there, but the 10% was critical to get me moving. So now once the 10% stops, I'm, I've exhausted its usefulness. Now the negative thought comes into my head as I think about, oh, you're never gonna be able to get that, it's too big, why would they let you guys do it? Um, then it's like, okay, I crush that and I refocus on how things are gonna go well. It's a totally manual process. The visualization is entirely fake. I am not feeling positive at that moment, right? So people need to embrace that it, it's like anything. When you pick up a weight and you curl it, it hurts, it's hard, it's difficult, maybe you fail, but you just keep forcing yourself to do that. So with the positive thoughts, with envisioning it, in the beginning it's gonna be hard. Uh, in the beginning it's gonna feel like a thin veneer over your true feelings of dread and that you're not good enough and that you're never gonna be able to do it. Uh, and the visualization like feels like you're trying to lay it over something. Like if you've ever um, taken um, like a sheet or something and put it over a bright light, you still see the bright light through the sheet, right? That's true. So, and that's sort of what the positivity is like in the beginning is you're laying it over and it's, you still see the negativity shining through. And so you just have to keep doing it, keep practicing it until you've put so many layers of forced positivity on top of it that the negativity just dims and dims and dims until ultimately it's gone and the positivity is easier to imagine and bring up at a moment's notice. I like that metaphor. That's great. Thank you. Um, Sean, so jumping off that, Sean talks about how he used some uh, smaller early wins in his career to kind of build self-confidence and uh, eliminate that seed of self-doubt, he called it. Um, what do you think about trying to get sort of early wins on the board or smaller wins to start to, to build on your confidence? Super important. And this is one of the reasons I'm so dogmatic about people working out every day is working out like gives you the little wins that you need to begin to earn credibility with yourself. So win number one, I showed up, right? Win number one, yeah. I wanted to stay in bed and I did not. I got up, I went in the gym, cool. Win number two, if you do the weights every day, you will be able to lift heavier and heavier weights or more reps as you do it. And it happens relatively quickly. And so that's win number two. Whoa, I couldn't curl this weight today, I can tomorrow. I couldn't squat this weight today, I can tomorrow. 
Like, and it will make you feel good about yourself. Win number three is that the mind-body connection is so profound as you begin to improve the fitness of your body, like your mind will feel sharper. And so you put those three things together and it just becomes these incredible little victories that apply to everything, business, sport, it doesn't matter. Like getting those wins, showing up credibility. I did what I said I was gonna do. Improvement, whoa, I guess that I can get better. Like maybe this is a real thing that the body goes through, that it can develop. So now you begin to believe in that. And then when you bring it into the realm of the mind and you realize, hey, I'm starting to feel sharper, clear, whatever, it's not placebo, like that's real, this is what working out is. You've now got this whole thing that that really applies. And then of course, if it's a contest or getting a promotion or stuff like you need to obsessively think about the things that went well, that you worked towards and they happen for you, let them build your self-esteem. And you know, like, especially if you can balance it, like get, get a little overinflated. Don't be a dick, don't be arrogant, but like believing you're a little better than you really are can actually work for you nice. as long as you don't silence the negative voice. Nice, love it. Um, one, one thing that came out of the episode was Sean uh, talked about or at least uh, hinted at that he is able to keep his eyes open for opportunities yeah. and then seize them. Yeah, yeah. Um, another one of our guests on the show, uh, Terrell Owens, also talked about he just had these opportunities and he, did, he decided mm-hmm. to seize them. Why do some people, why are some people able to see the opportunities and go after them and, and other people aren't? I'm, uh, I'm really not sure. That's yeah. the, the honest answer because you asked a very specific question. Why are some people able to see the opportunities and others are not? I don't know why some people see the opportunities and others aren't. But let's say of all the people that see the opportunity, why do some take it and others don't? Yeah. Um, and that to me universally is fear. And I remember when the guys who ended up becoming my partners um, and, and we found a quest together, uh, when I first met them and they offered me a job, it meant leaving the job that I was comfortable at and knew how to do and everyone thought I was crazy and you're taking this big risk and what are you thinking? And I remember just going, but the upside potential is so big. Like, how could I not take that? So that's a mindset belief about I had these goals. I knew what the goals were. And I was filtering every decision and every belief through the lens of does this move me closer to my goals or not? And working with them clearly, even to me back then, even though it was a big risk, it was clear to me that it's what I used to refer to as what is the surest path to success? Not, it's not guaranteed. Like, I don't know, but what's the surest path to success? And they just seemed like a more sure path. So even though I was afraid, I wasn't willing to, um, fear didn't move me towards my goal in that instance. So I had to do it to have the worldview that I had to have the, the identity that I had, um, forced me to do that. And I think that Sean exists in a similar, similar realm, but maybe from a different reason, life has taught him that he gets really fucking good at things that when he sets his mind to something, he crushes, it becomes truly the best in the world at the things that he sets his mind to. So you want to talk about, you know, using early wins to like propel you forward. I've got to imagine about the time you win the Olympics, about the time that you're the most decorated snowboarder in history, that if somebody says, Hey, you know, here's a business opportunity. You think, yeah, if I set my mind to that, like I did playing the guitar and then I'm touring with 30 seconds to Mars, one of the biggest bands on the planet, I'll get good at that too. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. We got another giveaway right Mm. now. This is an exciting one. All right, we're giving away an Impact Theory T-shirt. Booyah. Booyah. These are very rare. They are rare right I now. I only have one. And That's... most people don't. I mean, I think we have a couple here in the house, a couple yeah. people on yeah. the team have them. So not easy. Not easy to get. These are rare. Yet. Not easy to get yet. Yeah, but true. right now they're rare, so we're giving one away. Um, what you can do to win this is tag three friends 
in the comments right now who you think should see this content and who should follow Tom Bilyeu on Facebook. Nice. And get access to our content and nice. learn from it. People who will need it or, or who will identify with it, or maybe they don't know they need it yet. Tag those friends in the comments and you will be entered to win. Yeah, take some people that they, they want greatness, right? Because at the end of the day, that's what this is about. It's about actually unlocking your potential and doing something awesome. So I want, when somebody shares me, impact theory, like I want people to know like that's somebody saying, hey, I believe in you. I know you're going to crush it. And I know that all you need is a group of like-minded people that are going to help you get where you want to go. And that's what this has got to be about. That's what that's what we stand for is, you know, this is people that are hustling. They're trying to do something. So tag away. This is about positivity, pushing the limits, doing great shit. Come on now. If you want a fighting chance against the competition, you need to be using the best technology and platforms in the world like Shopify for whatever and wherever you want to sell from launching to going international. Shopify is the global commerce platform that will help you grow at every stage of your business. Shopify is your all-in-one platform to quickly and efficiently take your business to the next level. Now, I love everything about Shopify because it makes it so easy for you to start run and grow your business. It didn't used to be this easy. I'm telling you back in the day, it was a lot harder. I'm so jealous. Shopify powers more than 10% of all US e-commerce because businesses that want to grow quickly and efficiently choose Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash impact, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash impact now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash impact. If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly with ebay motors brake kits led headlights exhaust kits turbochargers bumpers whatever your baby needs ebay motors has it and with ebay guaranteed fit it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time or your money back plus at these prices you're burning rubber not cash keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply let's get to it that's right all right Let's, uh, let's move on. Next question. Um, so Tom, or, so Sean says that uh, one of the quotes that I really liked, he said, people think that I'm 50% into this, 30% into mm. this, but the truth is I'm 100% into everything. Yeah. And I love that because it, for A, it shows you that you don't have to divide your attention, right? I mean, you can manage multiple things at one time and still be 100% dedicated to it. Right. But it's a lot harder to do that. So how do you how do you do that? How do you manage multiple projects, ventures, and be completely focused on them? Yeah, I think Sean really put his finger on it. To me, it's about deep work, and this is something you guys are going to hear me talk a lot about. You have to do the deep work. You have to do the deep work. Like you cannot skim across the surface of stuff. So you have to set aside time to say, okay, like the example we talked about in the episode. Um, he was launching his line with Macy's called White Space. They had this idea to give away 150 or sorry, sell, give away the opportunity to buy, I should say, um, 150 of these hand 
painted leather jackets. And he only had five days to pull it off to do all the painting. Uh, he wanted to make sure that they really were all hand painted by him. So for five days and nights, um, he went in and, and was painting these things and making it great. So you can't be doing that and also trying to sneak in snowboarding practice or skateboarding practice. It's like when you're there doing the leather jackets, do the leather jackets. It goes back to what you were saying earlier about doing things sequentially. Mm. Like go all in. It's five days. It's going to be brutal. But you do the all in deep work of creating these jackets. Then when you go snowboarding, don't be thinking about the paint job on the leather jackets. Don't be thinking about skateboarding. Don't be thinking about air and style. Like be thinking about that trick the thing that you're trying to do that is deep work at its finest you've got to learn to compartmentalize to be thinking about one thing incredibly deeply and then when it's done it's done and so you know like and and uh, this may be a weird example but i have um if i wake up in the middle of the night my mind starts racing mm. so my that's why i only sleep five or six hours a night because i sleep until the first time i wake up most people can fall back asleep right so, nope, not me. So once I'm awake, that's it. Yeah. So if I wake up at like hour three and I know I'm just going to be ruined for the day, then I have one mantra that works, and that is you only have one job right now, and that job is to sleep. Nice. And I use that in everything that I'm doing, right? You only have one job right now, and that job is to whatever. It's to write. It's to prep. It's to close that deal, to get that meeting. Like, whatever that thing is, that's it. Nothing else exists in that moment. And until people can do that, they're just always going to give, like, this sort of middling effort across a whole bunch of things because their mind is trying to, to multitask. Multitasking is bullshit. doesn't exist. I agree. I agree with that statement. And it's interesting because we're only getting more distracted, right? There are only oh, more things sure. vying for our attention. Sure. And I heard a stat uh, the other day that um, it's on average, it's 11 minutes before someone is interrupted in their day-to-day -day work. Yeah. You only get 11 minutes. So you really do have to do the work to focus, to shut out all other distractions, and then just go all in on what you're doing. 100%. That's why I like the early morning hours so much. Mm, no distractions. Definitely. Um, all right, we got another question here. This one is about, um, ah, yes. So he brings up uh, Andre Agassi mm. and uh, looks up to him as a, as, as a guide, as a role model, um, read the book. And he said that one of the things that makes, uh, that made Andre Agassi so dangerous is when he realized that tennis didn't define him mm. and that uh, he had other things outside of life that, that were more meaningful to him, his family, his kids, his wife. Um, and he, he became more dangerous on the court because of that. And it seemed like Sean, that really resonated with Sean and that's something that he was applying to his life as well. Um, what do you, what, why do you think that is? So Sean was talking about like what it means to get into flow. And one of the things that he said is, you know, when you're up there and you've done all the visualizing and you've put in all the work, you know, your run, he said, the final piece of the puzzle is to just a little bit, not give a shit. Yeah. And he said, once you get into that state, that's when you can slip into flow because that part, the self-critic in your mind turns off because it's like, hey, we're here. Let's just have some fun with it. And, and that's why um, she doesn't do it anymore because I guess I don't need it anymore. But back when we were doing it as Inside Quest, it was still also new. Um, I used to ask Lisa to whisper in my ear before every episode, like literally right before they were going to start rolling cameras to whisper in my ear, have fun. Mm. And that was my version of not giving a shit a little bit, like to just 
just remember to have fun so you can slip into the zone because if you're focused on doing great, crushing it, like if she'd come up and said like, kill it, you're going to be great. You know, it's like, then you've just got that added pressure of this is about doing well. This is about performing. And I think by realizing, you know, whether you're Andre Agassi or you're Sean White, realizing that your life doesn't begin and end with your sport and that there are people that still love you and, you know, um, you're going to win, lose or draw. You're going to walk away from this and still have a vibrant life. It allows you to put this thing in perspective, which de-escalates your anxiety and the pressure, which allows you to slip more easily into flow, which, you know, at the end of the day, though, it's it's I think getting into that state of flow, it's optimum performance. Yeah. And I think perspective is definitely the key word there. And another thing that I think Sean uses very effectively is um, in terms of keeping perspective is knowing that even if I don't win at this, even if I fail at this new venture or this new hobby, I'm going to learn. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that learning is only going to help me win in the future. So it's keeping that long term perspective, right, of growth over time. No question. Growth over time and well said. Question, question from Facebook okay. Live. Yeah. This one comes from Eric. So he says, I love the idea of raising the stakes in order to push yourself um, into further momentum and action. Tom, do you think this idea, coupled with Mel's five second rule, as well as Sean's point on visualization, would create um, an approach for you following through in any moment. So the question is um, from Eric on Facebook, and he loves the idea of raising the stakes in order to perform at an optimal level uh, that Sean talks about. And he, the question is for Tom, do you think if you can do this coupled with Mel's five-second rule, if that can be a, a way to approach um, reaching a, a new level of performance? I think it depends on what is your sticking point. So for me, I'm not trying to raise the stakes. I'm trying to lower the stakes. I'm trying to remember to have fun. I'm trying to remind myself all of life is but discipline practice. And so win, lose, or draw, this isn't going to matter. Um, so slipping into flow like is not a, it, it isn't a case of, oh, I need the like pressure on. Um, I actually performed worse in those circumstances. So, and that was one of the questions that I asked Sean because his brother doesn't do well um, under pressure. His brother's yeah. an amazing snowboarder. And he said, he just, man, the moment he knows like the cameras are on and, you know, it's the artificiality of uh, competition that he just, he can't do it. And so I asked him, like, how would you teach your brother um, around that? And, you know, for me, it was, it's, it's really about learning the things in my mind I need to do to de-escalate the, situ- the situation. So whatever I'm trying to do, like if I were trying to be the best in the world, um, I would be telling myself things like, hey, you're a badass for going like all out for this. You put in the training, now just have fun, right? So let's break that down. You're a badass for trying. Okay, that's identity. So I'm not, you're not a badass, win or lose. Or sorry, you're a badass, win or lose. It doesn't right. matter, right? You're right. just a badass for trying. So having the, the guts to say, I'm going to win everything is the thing that I'm proud of. So now that I'm in the, I've put in all the work, I have worked like truly, I've put in a championship performance preparation so that I can, I'm capable of a championship performance. So I've done that. I know that. And, or I know that I didn't, right? And that I slacked on it. But let's say that I did it all in. I'm proud of that. So in that moment, I, I just want to remember like to re-associate with all the things that were enjoyable. So 
And that will allow me hopefully to get into flow, to have fun. And I think that the stakes being elevated, no question, like play a role in sliding you into that. But mm. the final brick I'm trying to put on is not like more pressure, heightened pressure. It's to, to just de-escalate it enough to refocus on enjoyment. Um, but the Mel thing could come in handy as a way to de-escalate, right? Yeah. That, hey, I'm five, four, three, two, one, I'm going to have fun at this, yeah. right? So that you're breaking, like if your mind is rationing it up, ratcheting it up and you can feel your heart rate raising, your anxiety levels going up, you can pattern interrupt with the five, four, three, two, one. Yeah. And actually Sean talks about that. And I, I thought that was kind of an interesting push and pull that he used on himself. So he does say on the one hand, uh, competition is what gets me into a better flow state. It's when I perform the best. But on the other hand, I've had situations where I've put too much pressure on myself mm. and I, I've fallen apart on the, you know, at the highest level. And he said that uh, he talks about the story of the the cars. So instead of trying to win the series yeah. for that year, he just said, how can I win? Let's see how many cars I can win. And he said that little subtle reframing helped, helped de-escalate the situation a little bit for him so that he wouldn't be putting so much pressure on himself. Yeah, it's a great point. So that notion of having a, a silly goal, I think, as he yeah. calls it. Uh, another one was I'm going to win the Olympics and I'm going to get on the cover of Rolling Stone in my American flag pants. Yeah, uh, and I love that. Yeah. Yeah, anything that's gonna you know reattach you to something that's fun and playful. It it's funny like that playfulness puts your brain in a different chemical state. I don't know how else to explain it. Uh, it's the same for me with um, you know trying to remind myself to have fun or that life is practice. It's you know well if it's practice then I don't have to take it so seriously. And so it just puts my mind just like it's a little adjacent to to that like intensity. Like you're still there, you're still focused, like yeah. you're still ready to go hardcore and bring all your training to bear, but it's just one more piece of practice. Do you have an absurd goal right now? Um, I do. Um, what absurd goal would I be willing to share? Because all my absurd goals I actually want to come true. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, so I, I think that we're far enough along in the process in some of these that, um, that I... Uh, I'm not talking about this stuff because um, it feels like name dropping. That's okay. the truth. Right. And if they don't come through, I don't want people to be like, oh, the motherfucker's just always hyping shit up. Um, but yeah, we have some goals that I think people are, you know, they'll, they'll think are crazy. But You'll find out soon enough yeah, once they're, they're reached. Or, or we totally fail. And then I can say, hey, that was one of the, you know, sort of fun, absurd goals that we had. And uh, it, didn't, it didn't happen. But There we go. All right. I want to remind everyone we're on Facebook Live right now. Diving into the episode with Sean White uh, that aired yesterday. This episode is called Always Winning Even When You Lose. Um, great episode. You can find it on YouTube and our podcast. And we're going deeper, so ask your questions. And I will see if Cindy has any questions from the community. question from Brandon. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, he is an artist and an entrepreneur. He has a company. Um, and his question is, how do you stay motivated when it feels like you're on an island, you're all alone, uh, you're the only one grinding it out, and you're by yourself? 
God, you literally just described the most motivational setup for me with mm -hmm. my identity. Like there's nothing greater for me than everyone abandoning me. Mm -hmm. Now it'd be terrible from my ability to actually execute because you need those people and those amazing people are how like this team, like I would be nothing like without this team, like literally this would just be like me holding an iPhone all day and not knowing what I am doing. So make no mistake, those are critical players. But at the same time, understand identity and that I'm the guy that learns, that doesn't quit, that pushes, that's willing to suffer, all of that. So um, if people were to say like, you know, fuck you, like we're, in fact, we're going to a competitor, like we're gonna go help somebody else be the next Disney and we don't believe in you anymore. Then it's like, well, that's when... I really would wake up and be like, all right, motherfuckers. Chip, like, just chip remember, on the shoulder. Yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> right. Set it on the shoulder and just remember you said that. Right. Yeah. And um, that's the kind of thing. Like, honestly, what I would do is I would make T-shirts that said, I'm going to be better than Tom Bilyeu. And I would ship them to them. And uh, just so that, like, we all make sure that we know what the stakes are. We know exactly what the competition is. That would drive me immeasurably. I can't tell you how much. Uh, so... That's the identity part. Who are you? And, and being a grinder hopefully uplifts you and makes you feel more powerful. And so when you're in a situation like that, it all comes back to identity, that you're willing to do that. And then the other part is, what's your mission, man? Like, what are you trying to do? And like, really rely on that. So as much as I would be motivated by the abandonment, um, that's 10%. And the other 90% for me is there's a reason I was doing this in the first place, right? There's a reason that I'm trying to build this business or trying to create that product or trying to create the content or whatever the case may be. Like I have a real reason and that reason drives me. Um, and so knowing what that reason is, having your why, starting with that, letting that be the center that gets you up and drives you. Like that's how you get through the hard times for sure. When nothing seems to be working, everything is falling apart. And maybe the, you don't have the chip to like make you want to grind, but you have the beauty of what you're trying to create. And so, especially as an artist, like don't, don't lose sight of that. Don't, um, you know, don't think of that as something cheap. Like the beauty that you want to bring into the world, like for who, like close your eyes and imagine the person that you're going to affect, that person who's going to be moved by that, you know, that cling to that. Should he also be trying to build a support system or not spend his time there? Oh, no question, man. Like we're, we're just a social animal. Like you should only be on your own when you just can't get people around you for whatever reason. And for me, like I fully recognize if I'm unable to get people around my vision, that's bad on me. Right. So, and that's the other thing, like if 10% of my energy went to, I'll show these motherfuckers, like part of the 90% is recognizing I alienated them. I pushed them away. I did something like it's all my fault that they've left. And so being able to it's the friction created between those two things. It becomes really powerful. Right. On the one hand, it's like they betrayed me. And then on the other hand, I pushed them to betray me. And if you can't see that, then one, you'll always just remain blind. Your faults Two, you're never going to learn and empower yourself. And three, you're going to be a victim and not in control. So it's, it's like this crazy interplay of all these different ideas, but that friction between those two things, it's all my fault. And I've been betrayed in that particular instance that you can really use to do something powerful. But yeah, I would immediately try to, to bring other people around. Um, and I have to apologize. My, I am so hungry. I can actually hear my stomach on the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> Ah, but such is the joy of identity, baby. Yeah. I can suffer. Let's do this. All right. All right. Um, one other part of the episode that was really enjoyable, I think, for, for myself as well as you, Tom, was when uh, Sean 
he described how when he lost at Sochi, how he had this moment of like, I'm no longer a superhero, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm no longer meaningful or, or valuable in the public eye, even though he is the most decorated snowboarder of all time. Um, he had kind of, he, he kind of felt like he had gone back down to zero, but then he realized after a while that that's not how people are looking at me. Mm-hmm. I'm still here. I'm still this, you know, um, very, uh, reputable athlete. And, uh, he said from then on, he was able to decide that he's going to do more than he's ever done before in the off season. And that's when he started with a lot of his entrepreneurial ventures and going on and on. What do you, what do you think about that? Dude, that's so legit. Is there any other way to look at it? Like that to me, like that's it. That That is why he's going to be successful. So he said, I'm going to enter into every competition that I can this year that in previous years he hadn't done that. He hadn't put himself in that just like go, go, go mentality. And that after the loss, like his response was to double down, triple down, to really go hard. And you get two responses. You lose, you retire, right? And I think a lot of people choose that path. Yep. And then the other is you lose and you you double down. And so I think the success that he's going to have in the future, whether in snowboarding or out of snowboarding, that is the only response, right? So if you fail at something, the only response is to double down. Nice. Learn and double down, obviously. All right. So tagging is not working. On our Here's Facebook giveaway. Okay. So they also have the opportunity to tag their three friends after the video post. All right. So if you want to tag after the video post, that's fine too. We will accept that. Um, do we have more questions from our Facebook Live audience? Yeah. You, do you want to try to sum that yeah. up or? Yeah. So I think, so the question is about, um, he want, always wanted to be a football coach, but recently wants to be an entrepreneur, thinks he can do a lot of good things there, um, but is worried about choosing one or the other and sort of regretting one of those decisions. Yep. So I think we have a sequential we do, we do, and and first I just have to shout out to him. So he had asked this in a comment on YouTube, and I had asked him, "Hey, this really warrants a full answer. Please hit me up on Facebook Live. Nice. Thank you, man, so much for doing that because I, I did not want to give you a cheap answer and trying to type this all out. Um, just you end up giving a cheap answer. So here's the truth: this really is a question of doing things sequentially. It's also a question of if being a soccer coach. I'm assuming is I think he's. I think uh, he's international, so I think he actually needs soccer. Um, if that's you know what you're doing and that's how you're paying the bills right now, first of all, like keep doing that. Like there's no reason to abandon it. So you you most people I will say spend no more than fifty percent of their waking hours at their job, which means you have a full fifty percent um, other time for family, friends, entertainment, and a side hustle of some kind. So um, entrepreneurship is a very fickle game. So you want to make sure that you've got something stable that's going to help you build that out so that there's not the panic, the gun to your head. You've got time to pivot and learn. So I think it's just great to do them both. 
Um, unless you've got like, it's, uh, you're choosing between two things and like somehow you've got a surefire entrepreneur thing. Maybe if your family had a business or whatever and they wanted to hand it off to you, you know that at least unless you run it into the ground that uh, you've got a guaranteed gig for a while. Um, I would say do both of those while you build up the entrepreneurial career. Um, and also like, you just can't live your life like that. You cannot live your life like that. So you've got to look in terms, meaning you can't be afraid. You can't be so afraid of opportunity costs that you never make a decision. Because what you're saying is essentially, well, I would just stay on the path that I'm on now because I don't want to, like, maybe if I do this, then um, I'll wish that I had stayed over here. Who cares? Like, fuck it. Like, you've got one life. Live it. Try it. If you, you can always get back to where you are, okay? If you're actually good at being a soccer coach, you can always get back to where you are. You may have to start a few rungs down and work your way back up. So be it. If you're actually good at it, you will make that happen. Take the risk. Try it. Like, see if you can really do it and if you love it. And obviously, my advice is no need to abandon ship over here to try over here. Start trying it now. But if you find like, hey, like I'm actually really digging this, but I'm still a little unsure. Um, one, turn inward. See your emotions. Where are they? If they're pushing you in one way or the other. Don't be afraid to try it. And God, like, don't live with the regret, right? Like, so let's say worst case scenario, man, you try being an entrepreneur and you crash and burn. And this is worst case scenario, remember? So you go broke, you got a shit ton of debt, your family's laughing at you, your friends are laughing at you. Everybody's like, dude, I told you, man, you should have stayed as a soccer coach. And now you look like a dumbass, but only to other people. Because if you look like a dumbass to yourself, you've got the wrong identity. You need to be the type of person that takes the risk, that isn't afraid to try something, isn't afraid to try and build something, isn't afraid to fail because you know that you're going to learn, that you'll pick up the pieces, that you'll be a better anything after having learned from that, even if it's a total disastrous failure, that you will learn from that. You won't let that damage your self-esteem because you're a learner. So you don't hold yourself to the standard of accomplishment. You don't hold yourself to the standard of being one of the greats. You hold yourself to the standard of learning and always moving forward. To me, with the right identity and the realization of the truth that if you are good at your job, you can always get back there, then the only choice is to try this thing. And then it is almost certainly fear that's making you a little unsure, like, do I really want it or not? You got to try it. You got to try it. Like, it's crazy to me to not. There I, you have it. I would push the mic down, I guess, maybe is what I should do. <laughs> to drop it. But take too long to set back up. All right. Do we have any other questions from our Facebook Live audience? Um, one from Cindric. How do you get a family member to go from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset? This is a question we get a lot, actually. Yeah. We should ask do an it, article. Ask it. We should. It. Yeah. I'm ready. Let's write that article. Um, the question is, how do you get a family member to go from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset? And the answer is, you don't. You don't. You are not in the game of forcing people to change. You are not in the game of educating. You are not in the game. Like right now, I am in the filtration game, okay? I consider impact theory the bat symbol in the sky. Now, you throw the bat symbol up in the sky, you expect Bruce Wayne to don a cape and roll the fuck up, okay? That's impact theory. I am not trying to um, do anything other than find out who wants to be freed from the matrix. Then I will help you get out. Yeah. But I'm not trying to convince, like I'm not looking for Cypher who wants to be put back in the fucking matrix. Like, that's not what this is about. So you can love them. You can be compassionate towards them. You can understand, like, it's hard. Like, 
it is hard to shake free of a fixed mindset and get to a growth mindset, right? It takes real commitment. It takes a willingness to look that a lot of things are your fault. So I think people just need to remember you can love somebody who has a fixed mindset. You can want great things for somebody who has a fixed mindset. You can be happy around them. You can be joyous, not let them drag you into a fixed mindset, have total compassion for the fact that they have one, but lead by example. And the people that resonate with that man, they'll make the change. They will make the change. And it may be on a really scary long timeline because it takes them really a long time to see what you're up to. Like I will say there are people very, very close to me, very close to me that are only just now beginning to realize that switching over to a growth mindset has taken me so far like so much farther than they ever imagined, that I ever imagined, that they're now, you can see them being like, huh, like maybe that would be kind of cool. there's something to this. Yeah, Yeah. like maybe, maybe. So, but I love them the whole time, right? Yeah, care about people, whether they're fixed, growth, doesn't matter. Just don't let them drag you down and and don't preach to them. Mm. Says the man who's mid-preach, but (laughs) that symbol in the sky. Okay. Well, I think that's going to do it for today for it After is. Impact. It is. Um, I want to give one last uh, activation here for you guys to win something. So this is a big one, a three-month Audible membership. Nice. Um, because we're all about that growth. We're all about the learning. Uh, three-month Audible membership, what you need to do is send us your review of the Impact Theory podcast on iTunes. Screen grab will do. If you've already reviewed it, get a friend to review it. So that means nice. you got to share the podcast with a friend. Nice, they got to nice. be into it. I mean, don't force them to review it. We want it to be real and authentic. But uh, if they're so willing to, uh, to write a review, send in their review um, as well, and we will enter you to win this three-month Audible membership. You're going to send that to connect at impacttheory.com. Nice. Perfect. Guys, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of After Impact. And please, in the comments, if we could throw up some clapping for Agent Smith, who I just think is really, really crushing the game. It's so awesome. You've really, really put your just all into this and you're getting better every time. It's really, really fantastic. Um, So yeah, join me, throw up some claps. I wanna see claps in those fucking (laughs) comments. Uh, for this man who is uh, showing us, leading by example, and showing us what it means to get better every time. Uh, It's awesome. Guys, this community means everything to us. Uh, I am engaging all the time. Uh, I'm answering um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, YouTube. I'm terrible at LinkedIn right now, so if you've written to me on LinkedIn, my humble apologies. Uh, but really, really trying to show you guys how sincere we are about building this community out. So thank you so much, and thank you for sharing this content. That really means the world to us. All right, if you haven't already, I'm guessing you guys have, uh, this is a weekly show, so be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.